online family, welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Amy Beveridge, and this is our virtual worship experience. Thank you for bringing your faith to this digital space and gathering with us as one in spirit and truth. Today, we are welcoming our intern, our Central Coast Conference intern, Laura Salazar-Kruger, as our preacher. Many of you have met her now. We are delighted to have her with us. She is learning as a candidate to become a deacon in the ELCA And we are learning how to be a teaching church, a church that raises up new leaders for a new day. She is a bright spot in these challenging times of pandemic recovery. So thank you, Laura, for all the ways that you are saying yes to your vocation. I do have to say we have a couple bright spots going on right now at Bethel. Our vacation Bible school is on the horizon. And for a kid-loving church like ours, this means so much to us. The registration deadline is May 31st, and we do need everyone's help in promoting the program because many of our previously attending families aged out during COVID. So it's all hands on deck for spreading the word. And after the 31st, we will assess our enrollment and decide how we want to move forward. Our goal is to host over 20 kids and we're getting there, but we need your help. And that brings me to the life of children and our community. These have been incredibly sorrowful and heartbreaking weeks for us as a country. Last week, I preached about division and integrity and the myth of violence as the saving deliverance from our pain. This is a convicting word in times of war abroad and in our own nation in times of endemic gun violence that refuses to ebb. In our sorrow over Buffalo and Laguna Hills, and all the places that experience this terror but never make the headlines, I never imagined last Sunday that it would only intensify in Texas the way that it has. So what to say, my beloved community, what do we say? Like you, I have struggled. I spent the week, the last two weeks actually, remembering some of the moments that I have held worship for us in times of fear and distress. I remember the very first worship service I held where we rang the bell and stood in silence and cried together after the terror attack in Norway back in 2011. A year and a half later, it would be Sandy Hook. I remember preaching about Dallas and Boston, praying for Charleston and for the church in Sutherland Springs. And then there was Parkland when I stood in my driveway at the parsonage while church members arrived to cry And later when we talked to our middle school-age daughter at the time about how she would work for a brighter future. So what do we say now? When does it end? I think like many of you, that is the question I've been asking over and over again. When does it end? I want to share with you something I read this week that feels very powerful for me right now and very true as I struggle to find the right words. It comes from an interview with two researchers who have devoted their work to understanding mass shootings and the people who commit them. It is by far the most balanced piece that I have read, and in a despairing time gives me actually a great deal of hope. It's not comfortable what they say, but I think they are making a path for us, a path, a way out. And this is just a few words from them. The whole interview is profound. I'm going to post it at the bottom of our our page where you were listening now. But this is just, just a brief piece. Here's what they say. If we explain this problem as pure evil, 
or other labels like terrorist attack or hate crime, we feel better because it makes it seem like we found the motive and solved the puzzle. But we haven't solved anything. We've just explained the problem away. These researchers go on to say something deeply religious, which is we have to see the people who commit these atrocities as part of us, because when they are part of us, we can trace back what happened to them as children and learn where and how to intervene. And something always did happen to them as children. When we dehumanize the people and the problems, when the answers are out of our power, that is what makes me personally feel hopeless. But when I read something like this and I'm reminded that there is a way forward, a hard way, a complex way, a way that is not entirely right or left, a way of redemption, when I hear these voices, then I know, and I know there are many more than just these voices, then I can feel that stirring of what is possible. I can feel that touch of the Holy Spirit here. There is much more to explore together, and I think we can do that if we wish to in the coming weeks, if we want to talk with one another at church about how we build community health here in this place. But for now, I just want to leave you with this. Do not give up. And more than anything, do not accept that this is the way that things will always be. You can be angry, you can be grieved, you can be shocked, you cannot be shocked, you can be anything, be anything but cynical. All the saints and the prophets and the dreamers who came before you, they never gave up and they never settled for anything less than the kingdom of God, and neither should you. In a few moments, our intern Laura is going to bless us with a meditation on Jesus' prayer for us the night before he died. And as I said last week, and I say it again, let us take in the grace of God who spoke under the shadow of death and the promise of life which is exactly where we stand now in the shadow of death and in the promise of life. Amen. Children never say
the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Gracious God, form the minds and hearts of your faithful people into your one will. Help us to desire what you promise, that amid all the changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joy is found. In Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading today will begin in the last page or two of your Bible and concludes our journey through Revelation this Easter season. The first verse sounds a bit like works righteousness, but we go on to hear that all may wash their robes and all are called to come and enter the city gate. This is the good news of grace. The Gospel reading from John is the culmination of Jesus' farewell to his disciples. The setting is the upper room on Maundy Thursday. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, foreseen Judas' betrayal, predicted Peter's denial, and promised his disciples the Holy Spirit. In the final moments before his arrest, he looks towards heaven and prays. Some call this prayer the other Lord's Prayer, the one we don't recite on Sunday mornings. In the verses before the gospel that we will read, Jesus has prayed for himself and for his disciples. Let us hear the word read. A reading from the book of Revelation, the final chapter. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with his testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let everyone who hears say, Come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the fourth Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Have you ever wondered what Jesus desires for you? The good news of our gospel today is that we get to overhear Jesus praying for us. The gospel of John does not have a Lord's Prayer, but here we encounter a heart-to-heart communication of Jesus' love and desire for future believers, for you and for me and for all. Jesus is sitting around the table after the Last Supper with his friends. Jesus has washed their feet and given them this new commandment that they are to love one another. Then Jesus engages in this intimate and lengthy prayer, a prayer that is meant to be overheard by those disciples gathered and fearful of what they are just beginning to understand lies before them. Jesus says that he is not only praying for those disciples gathered around him at that table, but he is also praying for those who will believe, 
because of the witness of those disciples. We, along with the disciples, are meant to overhear what Jesus desires for those who come to believe. We are invited to look back and experience the intimacy of Jesus with the disciples and with God. We are invited to look forward and respond in how we pray, think, imagine, and live. So what does Jesus pray for us? What are Jesus' desires for us? The first thing is something we may not find ourselves praying for that often, that we be one, that we live in oneness, in unity. Written in Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit called to one hope, one faith, one God of all. Jesus prays that we continue in the intimate relationship with God's self through the ongoing act and activities of loving and being loved. And that is the unity that Jesus asks for when Jesus prays that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. This is a unity that has as its generative source the mutual indwelling of the triune God. Mutual glorifying, mutual belonging, mutual love. Seen in this way, unity is more of a gift than a task. Jesus prays that those who follow him may be drawn into the very life of God. We enter into this indwelling that is already present, that is already and always happening in God. Moreover, Jesus prays that this unity of believers is so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. That the world, the whole world, will know that Jesus comes to us in love from the heart of God. The purpose or at least a purpose of our unity is so that the world may know that God loves everyone. This prayer for unity is inspiration for ecumenical movements, seeking ways to be one church together. The ELCA continues in dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church, and we have declared full communion of table and pulpit with six Protestant denominations. Our own Synod Bishop, Brenda Boss, recently participated in the Day of Christian Unity at Christ Cathedral in Orange. Our Lutheran Bishop read the gospel in a Roman Catholic space with the Virgin Mary in the background. Methodist, Episcopal, United Church of Christ, and Roman Catholic bishops also participated in this service. The second desire that Jesus has for us is that we see his glory. Jesus asks for us to be rooted in unity, but also reaching beyond toward Jesus to see the glory of Jesus, given and shared in the profound love of the Trinity, existing even before the foundation of the world. God has always loved the whole world. In all times, glory evokes the divine presence and holiness that can come near to us. It is a glory of deep, intimate love, 
which is seen in the whole of Jesus' life, work, death, and resurrection. In seeing the glory of Jesus, we are inspired to learn from Jesus, to imitate Jesus, and to follow Jesus. The third desire Jesus expresses for us is that we be loved by the Father. This is the first explicit mention of love in this prayer. It is this amazing notion that God, the person of the Trinity that Jesus calls Father, loves us even as much as God loves Jesus. We not only are witness to this incredible, intimate, all-encompassing love that the persons of the Trinity have for one another, but we are also every bit as much loved by God. Jesus' desires for us are expressed in this prayer, that we be one, that we behold his glory, and that we are loved by God. How will we react to such a prayer as this? How do we walk in unity? Together, we would come up with so many ways we could or do walk in unity. I'll suggest a few. We pray. We pray together. We pray for unity and for one another. When we pray for each other, we strengthen the bonds we have in Christ. When we pray for one another, we unite ourselves, not only to God, but to each other. We are also bound together for the sake of praying for the world. This community, this church, is an act of the Holy Spirit, which is created in the world, but also for the world. In our prayers, we recognize this radical desire of Jesus and let Jesus' desire become our own. We pray because Jesus did. We ask because Jesus asked. We worship together. In this communal act of worship in Christ and by the Spirit, we are orientated towards God and towards one another and toward the world whom God loves. And we love. Here amongst us and out there in the world, even with all its tragedy and violence, even wrought amongst our young and innocent children, as we witnessed this week in Uvalde, we rail against this violence and it breaks our hearts. But still, but yet, the world, broken and corrupt, is beloved of God. It is where we live. It's where we serve. It's where we love. Loving in unity means we are willing to walk with people who are different from us. We are willing to listen to and learn from folks with whom we have very large differences. We can know that the other person belongs to and is loved by God, just as we belong to and are loved by God. But maybe it might be our own selves that feel like we don't always fit in. In this church of this congregation, in the larger church of the ELCA, or in the church universal. John Wesley said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, 
though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. All the children of God may unite. As Wesley says, we can love alike because it is Jesus who has called us into this relationship with each other. I'll close by asking that we might all join in Jesus' prayer for us, that we be one, that we see God's glory, that we experience the love of God. May it be so. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. O God of justice and love, we give thanks to you that you illumine our way through life with the words of your Son. Give us the light we need, awaken us to the needs of others, and at the end, bring all the world to your feast. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord of life, you walk this journey with us and through us. Lead us, Lord. Lead on. Journeying within and wrestling with the world, lead us, Lord. Lead on. Lead us to risk, to grow, and to tread the path you have opened for us. Lead us, Lord. Lead on. And let us rejoice that every place is your place. In the name of Christ, the risen one. Amen. table in my sight thine own 
redemption grace bestoweth, and the what transport of delight from thy pure chalice floweth. And so Go in peace, share the good news. Alleluia.